Well, good morning, uh, listeners. It's it's I Don't Care with me, Kevin Stevenson. Glad to have you on today. Uh, this may be one of our first episodes in the new year, so let me uh, take the opportunity to tell you Happy New Year. Uh, it's got to be better than 2020. Let's hope so. Uh, we've got uh, 2020 in our hindsight, and so let's let's move forward. So. Today, we've got a really interesting guest with us. Uh, it's Tina Wilson. Tina is the Vice President and Client Partner for Health and Life Sciences for Astound Commerce. So Tina, welcome to I Don't Care. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to meet you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Glad to have you. So, you know, Astound Commerce, that kind of that's kind of a wide open uh, uh, organizational title. Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about it and, and kind of what drives your organization? Sure. Um, we are the largest privately held digital commerce organization in the world. Um, we have offices all over the globe. And my particular division of the company is our health and life sciences division. We are leaning into that area, obviously, over the last probably three and a half years. Um, we've had clients in Big Pharma and throughout for about six years now. But recognizing the trends both prior to COVID and then, of course, since COVID, and the major shift into digital and online, as well as compliant commerce in the industry and how important that is right now to improve the lives of patients and healthcare providers in the industry. Excellent, very good. Well, what I'd really like for us to focus on uh, quite a bit today is on a study that your company just did entitled Transforming the Global Healthcare Consumer Journey. So, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, why, why did you embark upon that study? And a little bit about the, the metrics, how large the popul sample population was, you know, uh, was it truly global? You know, some of the basics first. Sure, absolutely. We, um, we surveyed over a thousand participants and it truly was global. Um, those participants were all over the world. And um, it was a rather extensive study that um, we started talking about at the beginning of the year last year, and as COVID, of course, progressed um, throughout the year, and we saw the significant shift for businesses that were trying to move from either traditional brick and mortar into digital or simply trying to maintain or recover their um, revenue, we felt it was incredibly important to not focus specifically on, as much on retail at that particular moment as we did individuals that were on the front lines and of course patients and how companies need to touch patients and in an industry that is traditionally slow to change um, but certainly needed to embrace change very quickly in order to meet the growing demands of patients and healthcare providers mm -hmm. um, we felt that giving the information to the industry would not only benefit the industry in the pharmaceutical healthcare biotech but it would also ultimately benefit patients and healthcare providers. So rather than looking at the world from um, sort of the ivory tower mentality that we see so often in pharmaceuticals, where we're pushing things out through marketing teams and sales folks to touch HCPs, we wanted to take an outside in look at the industry. So we surveyed patients, we got information from them about interactions with healthcare providers and what they need from not only their healthcare providers, but what they need from the actual health and life sciences industry as a whole. Um, we surveyed individuals above the age of 18 and we received an incredible overwhelming response. We did ask respondents who received the survey that were health care providers 
or we're actually in the healthcare industry to ask to respond as um, healthcare recipients, so as patients themselves. Interesting. Okay. So, so do you feel pretty confident that a thousand uh, or so respondents was a was a representative sample size? It was the way that we balanced it, rather than having um, uh, the the majority of individuals in one particular region or one particular geographical area. Mm -hmm made sure that it was representative of the populace throughout the globe. So, so when you, when you received your results, what really surprised you? What, what, what answers didn't you expect? Honestly, I would say the thing that surprised me uh, probably the most was the significant challenge that we see with women's health and the challenges that they are facing um, as a specifically in, in with regard to COVID, um, along those gender lines, only 21% of women felt very confident in their ability to afford, uh, for example, an emergency health care expense. Okay. Um, and with the fact that because of COVID and the lack of school supports and the lack of um, some of the employment support that's been there, women have been leaving the workforce at alarmingly high rates due to the increasing demands of childcare and other mm -hmm. obligations that have been happening. Um, and you know, the, the pandemic drastically blurred the lines between work and home life, which made that balance between the two nearly impossible to manage for many women, along with, of course, the systemic issues of gender equality that have played uh, just a vital role in how the country has been shaped and some of the legislation that we've seen the current healthcare crisis just exacerbated those. And so the socioeconomic, racial, um, geographic health disparities probably were the most alarming. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, we, we've talked a lot here on, on the podcast about social determinants of health and, yes. and a lot about, about access to, to quality healthcare. So, <laughs> and in reading some of the, the summary of your, uh, of your study, uh, that one jumped out at me too. Uh, you know, that, that, was, that was a pretty alarming statistic. Um, now, did you see a wide span of, of answers or, or, uh, or opinions based upon country of origin of your, uh, of your respondents? Um, I did, as a matter of fact. Um, South America was incredibly responsive and seemed to be more uh, positive in their responses with regard to their attitude toward healthcare. Hmm. Uh, I would say uh, Brexit is having a major um, impact on EU responses and their responses to healthcare and their awareness of some of the issues, hmm. as well as, of course, uh, the general election and hmm. some of the things that we've seen from a political perspective and how they are impacting others' outcomes and, and certainly their perspective on their not only their current healthcare situation, but their uh, outlook on how healthcare will shape over the next three to four years. Interesting. Okay. So, so you kind of piqued my interest with Brexit. How, you know, why, why do you think that was the case that, that, uh, you know, Brexit would really have that, that, that influence on the overall uh, response from the EU? Is it just the uncertainty or, or what? Exactly. It's the uncertainty. Um, around um, national health conglomerates and, of course, the um, the governmental governmentally regulated health um, mm -hmm. particular area, and um, 
I think honestly, just the global uncertainty for what that would mean, not only for them, but also for family in other areas of the world. Okay. Very interesting. Uh, you, you say in your study that less than 40% strongly agreed that they had adequate access to healthcare. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, one of the big things as, as a healthcare provider uh, in, uh, in Central Texas, you know, how can we, uh, and really on a global on a global perspective, how can we as providers change that perception uh, and improve access to healthcare? In, in your opinion, so uh, it's a great question. I think a couple of ways. Um, the the equality and the support that we talked about. I think um, if you if we refer back to the earlier question around women's health. Mm -hmm. it, ensuring that not only that they have the support and the access that they need, but also that they have support that they need if they need to take time off or if they um, need to meet with a doctor, but of course don't have childcare adequately. Um, cost, uh, I would say that there are, there are three main, uh, I would call them the three C's and that's care, cost and control. Um, consumers are demanding much more control over the decisions for their health. Mm -hmm and much more information that's personalized specifically for them. So um, the industry has a whole, as a whole, shifting into digital has to understand that touching patients with not only information, but information that's very specific or at least feels personalized to them um, helps maintain or helps in, in, impact positively that perception of adequate or access to healthcare that actually matters and resonates with them. Um, the control, the care portion of that is for pharmaceutical companies, healthcare companies to demonstrate that they actually not only care about the patients, but they care about the world, they care about the environment, the things that are happening, mm -hmm. that they are making services available, that they are increasing their patient services, patient care support, patient access programs, ensuring that patients are able to not only start medications, but that there are adherence programs that support patients who are struggling with unexpected financial difficulties or um, unexpected, for example, if a partner delivered, if it was a home-based injectable, if they had a partner that delivered their medication, their injection for them, and all of a sudden they don't have that partner or that partner has a job, then they don't have anyone to deliver it. So there's an adherence issue. So hmm. it's a patient services program in that way. And then of course, cost. Um, Cost is incredibly important. It's top of mind for everyone right now across the globe. Um, and the pandemic has only exacerbated the need for pharmaceutical and healthcare companies to ensure that costs are um, affordable for folks or that there are programs available to support individuals who actually need that. Um, and then making sure that the world at large, the globe at large, understands what those programs are and understands what it is that they are doing to support people how that benefits our patients, it means that um, they recognize that the, there is a brand out there and the brand actually cares for them, that there are people behind the brand that actually they matter to. Hmm. Interesting. Well, think, it, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I think um, the one thing that seems to have been missed, uh, and I, I, I mentioned it in the report and some of the, the conversations that I've had since then, is that Patients are consumers too, Kevin, and mm -hmm. understanding that patients are consumers and that they expect the same 
relatively the same experience that they have in other areas of their world when they are actually being valued as a customer or a consumer. Mm -hmm. Over into and remembering that there there is a person at the end of every click. They are a person that matters, and the messaging that they get matters to them. Uh, I think that's a key component for the pharmaceutical and the healthcare industry to remember as we move forward. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been fun in my now 31 year career seeing the evolution of. You know, in my functional background is marketing and business development. I started that in the in the rehabilitation industry. Um, and, and I remember I was really one of the first people to actually go out and market health care services because back in the day it was a, you know, if you build it, they will come mentality. And yeah. it was, a, you know, we cast a, cast a broad net. And, uh, you know, now as, as the time, as times have changed, you know, it, it's been really interesting seeing how we're individualizing messages to our, to our patients and our, and our uh, consumers. Uh, so, you know, obviously your company has a, has a big part in that. So, so, you know, let's, let's talk about, I enjoyed your, your discussion about the three C's. Let's talk about cost because everybody certainly has issues with that, regardless of, of your means. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things though, is I, I, did, I spent some time in generic pharma. And learned a lot about you know what goes into the development of pharmaceuticals from an R&D perspective, and, and it's you know it, it's very costly, and you know the vast majority of pharmaceuticals never make it to market because they don't uh, they aren't certified they don't pass inspection they don't have the efficacy whatever, so you know looking at it from a capitalistic standpoint, you know these companies do have to make their their return on investment. And, and so how do you, you know, how, how can we, how can we address that when we talk about access and cost of care? Um, I think that's the conundrum the industry is facing right now, sure. <laughs> um, I would say um, right now at, at most of the conferences that I have attended recently and roundtable discussions that I've participated in, this is truly um, top of mind. It is, it is within the top two things that um, C-suite is talking about right now. How do we reduce costs without um, negatively impacting our bottom line or how do we change mm -hmm. them? Um, one of the things that um, our company does that I think makes us a little bit unique but also is um, changing the way things are seen in the industry is looking at the different things that actually impact the, the company but also um, how that actually looks through the eyes of the patients and the, and the healthcare providers. And what we've seen is pharmaceutical companies and healthcare companies that actually partner with their healthcare providers compliantly, of course, and legally, but actually partner with their healthcare providers and enable their healthcare providers um, are, are most successful and see that the return on their investment for, for investing the time and the training and that sort of thing with their healthcare providers um, is, is truly paying off for them in droves. Uh, for example, you have um, pharmaceutical companies that are literally taking a sales team that went, that of course, traditional sales, they can't get into offices right now. Um, in some areas. And so uh, pharmaceutical companies that had traditional sales models were sort of shut down. They learned very quickly. You have um, several pharmaceutical companies that have done this the right way, Kevin, and that they have taken 
their sales teams that are traditionally individuals that are used to face-to-face -face and haven't necessarily had the training that they should have or that they could have to enable them to utilize telehealth or um, conversation with uh, healthcare providers in uh, roundtable discussions or uh, panels. And those companies have not only trained their sales teams, but they have actually initiated training for their physician's offices and the staff within their physician's offices about utilizing telehealth platforms and utilizing um, conversations with patients and how to be, how to gather in that information so that it actually impacts their organization faster. Um, what those physicians have done is they have taken that information and that training or the, the materials that they've been given and they've utilized that ingested it and we've seen healthcare providers that are incredibly um, enabled to be successful. They have built practices from this and have rebounded and have a wider patient base. They're touching more patients. Um, they are also changing the way they look at pharmaceutical sales because all of a sudden rather than having a, a constant stream of a constant stream of sales teams in and out of their offices with um, lunches and that sort of thing. They now have a five-minute conversation that's incredibly impactful. They get the, the questions that they need answered, and they have more time to spend with patients, which means, of course, that's more revenue for them. Their reimbursement um, channels are much faster because insurance companies are actually seeing how quickly things can be processed, and they're moving faster with the work from home um, streamlining that they're doing. So the industry is actually benefiting, I think, from the digital model and the trends that we're seeing with pharmaceutical companies enabling doctor's offices to be successful and touch patients in a different way. Patients are appreciating it and it's reciprocated throughout the industry financially. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me how the pharmaceutical industry has changed over the years. I remember early on, you know, uh, pharma reps taking doctors to Hawaii and all this yes. stuff and you know it was crazy and uh, that was the, the one time I wished I'd gone to med school but that's another, right. for another day. <laughs> well you you started a, a wonderful segue for me into our next topic and that's around telemed and uh, according to your survey over 40 percent of consumers have said that they've used telemed this year so so how can providers determine if their telemedicine strategy has been successful or, or not successful uh, in, in allowing them to, to make necessary changes if need be? Um, so the survey actually points to a couple of things. Um, we've seen within the survey the, the overwhelming response is that patients actually want a phone call or an email from their doctor versus, and they'd actually, they, they prefer face-to-face -face so they can talk, but secondarily, they would prefer just a phone call or a conversation. Um, what physicians have seen is combining a telephone call or a telemedicine, the point where you can actually see my face, just like you and I get to see each other today. Um, it, has, it has supplemented the need for them to be in the room with patients, but it also, um, it ensures that there is safety there for everyone. Um, what we're seeing is that office administrators in physicians' offices, uh, hospitals, healthcare practitioners who have not only um, taken that safety precaution but convey that well are successful. Um, to ensure that their strategy is successful, 
they have looked, they've, they've invested from a telemedicine platform perspective in statistics that actually show how many successful appointments they've had. Um, surveys have gone out that have shown that uh, physicians who have invested in those appointments and when they didn't have telemedicine platforms available or haven't been able to install them yet, you've had physicians that have literally taken to their iPhones and they're using FaceTime to reach, reach with patients. And when office administrators are doing even rudimentary surveys, the overwhelming response from uh, patients and their families or caregivers for patients who can't fill out those surveys is that the physicians have conveyed that one of those three C's that we talked about, which is care. And it has placed the control, which is one of the mm -hmm. others, back into the hands of the patients and of course the caregivers. And making sure that those three things are in place and that the costs are affordable, as long as the telemedicine platforms meet those three, the overwhelming response is quite positive from the patient population. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that because you know, telemed, you know, being able to, to FaceTime with your provider, it's just so much more personal, uh, you know, versus that phone call or whatever. And, yes. and what, you know, I think the perception from a patient perspective is if I'm FaceTiming with my physician, let's say, uh, I've got his full attention. And, and oftentimes, even in the exam room, you don't have that physician's full attention. So so I think that does nothing but enhances the, the overall service and satisfaction for the patient. So very cool. Well, in, in, in the last few minutes that we have, Tina, yeah, tell me a little bit of what, what technologies and trends do you, do you see coming down the pike uh, in 2021? Um, so a couple of things. I, um, I just finished an article that, that hasn't gone live yet, but it's specifically around the, um, the trend toward uh, accurate data. Um, what we've seen in the industry for the last three to five years, I'll say right now, um, digital transformation in the C-suite overwhelmingly is that it has accelerated their digital roadmaps, the pandemic has, uh, at least three to five years in the last 11 months. So um, the article that I just wrote points to uh, data as truly just a key to the way the world moves, especially the industry, for a couple of reasons. Um, the trend that we're seeing around pharmaceutical companies that are placing a, a large amount of what it is that they need to purchase as far as relevant data or bring in data, process, ingest that data, process it, and then act on it much faster than has happened in the past to enable their sales teams and their marketing teams, um, as well as marketing teams that are including patients as part, of their, um, as part of their strategy. When they're actually mapping that strategy out, that is a huge trend in the industry. And from a technology perspective, um, you've seen some of the giants like Salesforce that are coming in and, and of course, introducing um, their health cloud and their CRM base. Um, but of course, understanding that platform integration, um, backend um, spaghetti bowls of companies that have utilized uh, mergers and acquisitions mentality uh, to grow over the last three to five years. Those backend integrations with uh, scattered data that needs to be deduplicated um, so that they get that 360 degree view is a huge trend this year. 
Um, and I think we see as we enter into Q2 and Q3 of this year that uh, pharmaceutical companies are acting more nimbly because that, that impacts them in a couple of ways by integrating their data and consolidating data and acting more nimbly and more quickly in data rather than focusing on market share by mergers and acquisitions. They're focusing on market share by touching patients and actually gaining that brand valuation and brand loyalty that they've needed for years. I also believe that um, for, the, for your chief information officers and chief technology officers, having, a, um, having the data consolidated and um, you're, you have a master data management area for your data being held, I think it makes a huge difference because then you're cutting down on your storage and data costs, which is astronomical. Um, so that impacts the bottom line positively. So I think we see major trends around introducing um, data and um, solutions integration partners that are trusted to install CRMs that um, data is actually pulled from. The master data management is there for making sure that there is a very clear view of your customer and your HCPs and the consumers and their needs. Excellent. Yeah, very interesting. And I would certainly agree with that. It's just, it's been amazing, um, you know, in, in our organization, what, what has transpired over just this last you know, year. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, who would have thought that we would have been able to pivot uh, as quickly as we have uh, yes. in so many areas, but particularly in the utilization of data. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, I think you're spot on with that. Well, Tina, it's been a real pleasure having you on I Don't Care. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, folks, it's Tina Wilson, VP and Client Partner uh, for Health and Life Sciences with Astound Commerce. Uh, and so, guys, you know how to listen to us. Uh, we're on uh, MarketScale Radio at MarketScale.com every Friday morning at 9.30 a.m. Central Time. And if you don't get up uh, in time to, uh, to listen to us at that time, you know we're dropped on Spotify and iTunes pretty soon thereafter. And as I say at the end of every show, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, why not? So with that, I'm Kevin Stevenson. This has been I Don't Care. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next week.